1: It is so beautiful to see the church filling like this. Father God, Lord, I ask, Lord, that you hide me under your rock. I am your vessel and let the words of my mouth be yours. Father, may you open our hearts and our ears to receive you. In your name, amen. Amen. It was the year 2006, November, in the fall. My David was just about turning one years old. And we were at that time living in England. I was doing my undergrad in behavioral sciences. And I was part of the worship team. Now, you have to understand New Bold's Contemporary Newbold College's contemporary worship team was revered. the kids, the, the, the students came, all the young adults came, and, and some of some of the older generation came because this worship on campus was where it was full and busy and rocking and thriving. And back a couple, of, a few years before in 2018, when I was there without family, just myself, in my gap year, I was on the praise team then too. And to now be back there so many years later and seeing the growth of how, this, how our praise team was, it's just like Plantation where we have different praise teams rotating, but just like Plantation is renowned for its music and message... So was Newbold College's contemporary, I'm just underlining that word for you, contemporary praise team. And so I was one of the praise team leaders. And in the fall, I was approached by a member saying, hey, Jen, would you take your praise team or or whoever is able to come with you, there is... In Russia, a three-day conference of worship and music. And we would like to feature Newbold College's praise team so that this part of Russia could be shown what contemporary music is all about. Praise music. And I said, what are you asking me to bring? And they said, everything that you would bring and use in the contemporary praise service. So folks, we're, uh, they go, except for the drums because we have drums there, we just never use it. We got the drums, you bring everything else. And so folks, it was such an honor to be asked. And so we had a keyboardist, an electric guitar, a bassist, and we had our drums. I think there was one more. I, if I remember correctly, there was a, a regular um, acoustic guitar person. And we prayed. We had about th- three-week lead time. And we prayed for this conference. We said, Lord, we, we, we were chosen for a specific purpose to show how to do contemporary worship. And so lead us in the songs that, you're going, that we're going to sing and, and, and lead us in the way. And so there were some hiccups regarding passports and visas. And it wasn't until the night before we were supposed to fly that we were still unsure if we would make it out of England due to visa problems. And so the embassy officials came and helped us to process our way to go. And so we were, we were excited, folks. We were like, well, God, since you called us, on this mission, since you helped us fundraise the amount that we're supposed to do to get our plane tickets together, since you've done all this, we know that you are calling us to this specific pur- purpose. Let us praise you in always possible. And so began this music expo in St. Petersburg, Russia. Small church, about half the size of this, but more pews somehow. And we, it wasn't only us, it it was other praise teams from around Russia. Now let me tell you, these other praise teams were fantastic. And some of them had surprises where they would have little fireworks with them. Like in, in their grand finales, they'd somehow whip out a firework from behind their backs, like little Roman candles. And, and this whole team of like 30 or so would be just singing glory, hallelujah, and these little fireworks were going off, and we're like, wow. But we knew, we knew that we had something good too. So let me tell you what our first song was, and, and, and you might laugh because just remember this is about 20 years ago, right? I um, Just told you my age. All right, never mind. And our opening song, because it was the most contemporary and and rousing at that time, because of the drum lead was, open the eyes of my heart. You you know how you go, you start off with a big drum lead and then then everyone else joins in. And it was big at that time, trust me. And so we decided, let's open with this. Now, when we started... As per usual, our drummer started off with, um, with, with with his little big big intro, and we began. Now, now the shocks on the faces of our fellow Adventist brothers and sisters in Russia was a little like whoa, and then the the electric guitar came in and. The bass came in, and and it was a little trepidation. We could feel it in the church. We were unsure, like, are they going to sing with us? You know, the lyrics have been transposed. And slowly they warmed up. But surprisingly, the song that they loved the best, we did a three-set number, um, the song they loved the best was Above All by Michael W. Smith. That was the final song. And so over the next two days... We were a part of this conference, and we would switch out the middle songs, but we would keep the first two. And it was such a beautiful thing because after the conference, they, they were amazed by us because we would put on an afterglow. Like our, our pianists would just sit there and start playing, and then now the whole church would come, and they would sing along. And so I, I got I to be honest, we were a little puffed up. Prideful, we're like, yeah, Newbo College, we rock. We're surely teaching them how to do contemporary worship. Third day, third and final, final session was no longer now in the church, but is going to be transferred to an a little arena downtown. When I say little arena, it's about maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred people, complete with the stadium seating. You know, it, you, you could put an orchestra in there. And I saw all the pre-preparations. They had balloons, big balloons ready to drop with confetti. I mean, this was going to be a big thing. And what alerted us more was that the TV stations were, were, were lining the sidewalk with the reporters getting ready to, and I'm not sure if some of them were um, Adventist uh, recording or, or, or reporting um, stations. TV stations, But they were all lined up on the sidewalk ready to converge on us for after the concert interviews. And my team, we were so ready to go. And we had planned because this is the final day of the workshop, we're going to start off once more with open the eyes of my heart. But drummer man, you go twice as long and you go twice as hard. And, and, and singers, you know, put it all out there. Now the organizers, I'm not sure if they knew what our song set was. But they came up to me on the side. And they said, Jennifer, we're so glad that you folks are here. But just for this one time, could you not use that song, Open the Eyes of My Heart? We have a different crowd. You know, the same, some of the same church members are coming, mostly all the same, but now because the venue is bigger, we have a different crowd, and I'm not sure. We're not sure that they'll take well to that, so could you please not use that song? Now, I hadn't taken any mission classes yet of how to act when going on a mission to other countries. I hadn't taken on any of that yet because remember, my undergrad is behavioral sciences. And so we turned to the team and I, and I went to the team and I said, hey, this is what they want us to do. And everybody's face fell, my face fell, because this was our best song, guys. This was the song that we thought brought everybody into worship. And so they said, well, yeah, we, the, the other two, you where know, the four songs set now, the other two, the second and third song is, is not too powerful, Jen. You, you know, the, the open the eyes of my heart. That's the big one. I said, you know, you're right. Let's, um, let's not listen and let's do this. Let's do open the eyes of my heart. The crowd will love it. It's just, it's just those guys who are just a little bit more contem- um, traditional. Everybody will love it. So I led my team into doing this. And I said, remember, remember, we're here on God's mission. Give it all you got. Play as loud as you can and do it. So I get out there when we're, uh, when we're called. And I said, thank you for joining us once more. We are the Newbold Contemporary Worship Team. And, and, and we're looking forward to opening... Are set with this tonight. And sure enough, the keyboard just went to the first note and the drummer just went at it and we started. And we realized to our dismay that barely anybody was singing with us. But we had to keep going. I had to save face. I couldn't stop it. And I looked at the organizers and I noticed that their faces were turned away. And I felt a deep, deep disappointment in myself because I knew what I had been asked to do and they knew their countrymen better than I knew. And they knew what the reactions were going to be. Therefore, they asked me specifically, don't do that. But in my pride and in my want and desire to exalt Newbold College and put us on the map for one of the best worship teams out there, I said, do it, and it took everything in me to complete the set, and I prayed for the last song, Above All. I said, Lord, we really messed up on this. I take the blame, and could you just somehow, somehow revive it, and as we began the, the opening strains of Above All, once again, they're a Russian team now came up and sang with us. And I thought it was good until after when I was thanked by the organizing officials. Thank you so much for coming with your team, Jennifer. It was good. And I heard the silence, but we won't invite you again. You can tell by body language, right? And then we were asked to give interviews. What was it like? Worshiping in Russia. And we each had to put on a smile on our faces and say what a great opportunity it was. But I knew, and I told my team later, I am so sorry. That decision should never have been made and we did not truly abide by what was asked of us. We only went out to glorify ourselves. And I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm sorry that this last night had to turn out this way. See, what happens when you become too full in the giftedness that God has given you and if you're a leader, whatever your enthusiasm is or or whatever your outlook is, will manifest itself in your team. So if they're looking to love the exaltation, they will, they will try to exalt with you. But it becomes lost when it's only for us. It becomes lost when we take God out of the picture. The mission becomes Lost when he asks us to do something and we go a different route trying to also exalt ourselves. We cannot exalt God that way. And I tell you this story because every time I think about this story, I still shudder inside. Even though I know I've been forgiven, I still shudder at what I did. And let me tell you, I am thankful for that shudder because it reminds me to completely follow God when he asks you to do something turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 17 Exodus 17 in your physical Bibles hallelujah there are some of you who have physical Bibles or your okay or your phone Bibles that's cool too or the screen And begins in 17.1, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. Remember this name, Rephidim. But there was what? No water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses they argued with him and told him, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? He knew that their anger was not fully on him. It was for God, but because he was their leader, he was receiving all their anger. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now remember, the Israelites have just come out. They have survived the ten plagues. They have run from their lives from the Egyptians. They have watched as Moses touched his staff to the Red Sea and they watched God make a way for them to go forth. And now they're blaming, they're blaming God. In other verses, it says that they would rather be back in Egypt, in Egypt. So now, after all that they have seen God do for them, now they are turning against Moses and showing their contempt. They're saying, why did you bring us to this wilderness, completely forgetting what had been done? Why did you bring us here to die? Now, their concern was legitimate because they had livestock, they had family, and there was nothing to drink. But tell me something, if you had been a part of the Israelites... And you had seen what God had done through all the plagues, and especially the Red Sea parting and making a way for you, wouldn't have you just said, despite your thirst, I know God will make a way. But here we are, the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained, and they're, they're blaming Moses for bringing them there to kill them. So Moses cries out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. They're ready to kill me for bringing them here to this place, and we're thirsty. And the Lord said to Moses, Go before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand what? The what? The rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall what? Strike. So you're seeing these, right? You're seeing this in the Bible. And you shall strike and water will come out of it that the people may drink. See, God brought his attention back to the rod. The rod... Which parted the waters and helped them escape. The rod, which would turn from snake to rod, to give Moses authority over the Egyptian people. God told him to take that symbol of what has led, helped to lead them out of Egypt. And He also was giving the telling Moses to take the rod because in confidence you will wield this, and in confidence I will make a miracle happen for you. And so Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So you see here that the Lord answered Israel. How was Moses? Was he for the people? He was for the people, right? He, he was just as thirsty. And in his in his faith, he went before God and said, Help me. And God gave him the instruction. See, when I think back to my story, I see myself with ambition to make the mission of God go forward with. The worship conference, I see myself with conceit because I knew that we were good. I saw myself with pride thinking that I could go above what the organizers were asking. And because of all that, I was humbled in front of my team. I, I don't know who else saw In Russia. But I I think the congregation saw it all when they barely sang with us. And I was humbled. See, in Moses' case, he was for the people. He went with an open heart, knowing that the people were angry, and he went to God saying, Help me. And God instructed him: Take your rod and strike the rock, and water will come forth. Now what Moses probably didn't know was that he was making an example for the future of how Jesus would be struck down, but he would also, from him, would outflow living water and redemption for those around him. And we find this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10. Verses 2 to 4, verses 1 to 4, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. See, it was God who led them through it all. He was their spiritual rock. And so what Moses might not have perceived when he struck the rock that first time was that he was giving an example of something that was going, an event that was going to happen years and years later of the Son of Man being struck, but of pouring himself out for all of us. But at this point, Christ was the rock in which they followed. Now turn to me, turn with me to Numbers. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Tell me when you get there in your Bible, say amen. Amen. 20 verse 1, then the children of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin. So the first one was the wilderness of Sin. In the first month, then the people stayed in Kadesh and the first one was Rephidim. So now you know that these are two separate examples of what is about to now happen. This is not just one. So this was sometime now after they'd been in the desert with Moses. And Miriam died and was buried there. Now there was, once again, no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, saying again, here we go, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Man, I I wish we had died. Why are we here suffering? Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Look at that. They would rather have stayed in Egypt under the rule of the Egyptians, suffering all that they were suffering because now they're here in the wilderness and they're thirsty. And they're thinking of their malady, they're thinking of their thirst, and they're like, I would rather have died, you should have kept me back in Egypt, why are we here? Amazing, because you know that in this walk that they've had with Moses, God has been there continuously. He has never let them down. He's given them manna, he's given them meat, he gave them quail. He has answered their every desire, and yet he's here. They're here saying, man, we wish we would have died. Why are we here? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So now again, their battle is the drink. They're thirsting. So once again, Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they what? What did they do, church? They fell on their faces in worship before giving their plea to God. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, now this sounds very familiar. Take your... Take the rod you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. And then he says, what? What? Well, I'm sorry, what did did God say? Speak Speak to the rock. Doesn't say anywhere here, strike the rock. No, he said, speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus, you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So God is saying, take your rod, look back at the authority that I have given to you. Look at the confidence, take your rock, gather your people, take your rod, gather your people and go and speak. Speak to the rock and water will come forth. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And then he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water? For you out of this rock. See, what he did, did did God say to go lecture the nation? He didn't say to lecture the nation. And look at the words in which he used. Filled with contempt and bitterness. I get it. Moses is tired. Israelites have been, you know, back and forth with him. It's hard to be a leader. Right? Right? But if God has given you a specific command to do, you don't go in and add extra things. God did not call him to rebuke. He said, just go and speak to them. And so he says, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you? Is it him able? Is it Moses able, the, the one able to bring water? No. Who's he pointing at? Must we? Must he and his brother? Must we be the ones to solve this problem for you? Let let, let me add in a few words. Must we be the ones to make this miracle for you to happen? Then Moses lifted up his hand and spoke. Did he speak? Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Now, right there, did did Moses disobey God completely? God had full command to kill him right there because he was the leader of the nation. God had full command to show who he was and to kill him. But what did God do for his people? He knew that they thirsted, so he gave them water anyway. See, this is the love of a father. Even though you come against him, even though you do things that you're not supposed to, God the Father is still going to answer your immediate needs. But it doesn't come without punishment. Because although he did answer, then... The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not, what? Because you did not believe me, to hallow me. Let's, let's put this in English. Because you did not believe me, to make me holy in the eyes of my children. To honor me in the eyes of my children to give me reverence in the eyes of my children. Because you did not do this in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Therefore, all this 40 years of marching in the desert, all of this hard times that we've had, because of your unbelief in me, you're not going to enter into the promised land. Why did God bring out this punishment upon Moses and his people? And I'm sure... Moses, being the faithful man, having done pretty much everything that God had asked him to do, was hurting. Because now he's not going to see the promise. But see, God says, you cannot lead. I cannot ask you to lead my people if you are not going to follow what I'm telling you to do. Why did God punish both of them? Because Moses did not believe, even after all that had happened already, even after the first strike of the rock in the beginning of the journey, he still did not believe that it would come forth with just speaking. And Moses did not believe that God himself could rebuke the nation. Moses overmagnified his position alongside God. Moses, through all his experience, thought, I can be God and strike this rock. And God says, no, you can't lead like that. I can't have a leader who will disobey me. I must have a leader who will obey. See when you lead this is where you need to embrace humility. This is where even if as a leader you know that you are going to be dragged across the rocks and stabbed in the back, because God called you, you still need to lead and embrace humility and you need to let God be God. You may be leading and you may come across obstacles like we couldn't see past the visas in Russia. You may come across obstacles, but if you say, God, you've put me on this mission and I'm going to obey everything, even though I don't understand. When you let God be God, the rivers of God will open up and cover you. The living water will cover you and what he has called you to do. And yes, there will be obstacles, but his mission will be done. And so Moses could not enter. Because of unbelief, in John 7. 7 verse 37, it says... On that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He was asking the people to believe in his ability to take care of them even at that stage of the journey. And because they couldn't, they were all barred from entering the promised land. Where is your humility in serving the Father? In knowing the gifts that he has given to you, new gifts, old gifts, however many years have you been serving and you've, you've seen it, you've weathered all sorts of obstacles, Where still, though, is your humility in service? In the last year of my seminary days in 2017, we were called to do an evangelism in Indiana. And our professor sent us to Section 8 housing. And our professor said, for each day of this, uh, for, for every other day of this week, as you come out to this community, you're going to knock on doors. And I'm going prom- you know, to say, all my fellow seminarians are like, oh, we're going to knock on doors. Because knocking on doors, praise God for the literature evangelists. Knocking on doors is a hard thing to do. You have dogs coming after you. You have the door shut in your face. Some, I heard a story where they heard a click of a gun and said, get off my property. You're basically begging people to please buy my books or please take this flyer. It's a hard job. So when we were told we had to go door to door, I'm just like, man, I was terrible at this in high school and I'm going to be terrible again. But then our professor gave us things. First day, she said... Here's a light bulb. She gave us, we had packages of light bulbs. When you knock on the door, give them this flyer for our, for our evangelistic meeting. And it doesn't say evangelistic meeting on the flyer. It said, come to educational classes, which it was. Cooking classes, financial classes, healthcare classes. And at the end, we were going to do about 15 minutes of, of sharing Jesus. And she says, take these light bulbs for each household that you have, knock on the door, hand them the flyer, invite, take down their name, and say as your parting words, here's a light bulb, and when you plug it in, remember that Jesus is the light of the world. Amen, yes, but for us saying it, it was a little cheesy. Just, I'm I'm just being honest, okay, this is Pastor Dan, I'm being honest, we felt a little weird. But then I thought after like, 20 doors of saying Jesus is the light of the world, I thought, well, Jesus is the light of the world. I mean, well, why am I going to be afraid in proclaiming that? So the next couple days over, we went back again, and, and, and she said, here's a loaf of bread, and this is what you say. When you hand over your, 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 the, the flyer information, you say, here's a loaf of bread, and remember when you eat, remember that Jesus is the bread of life. All right, we're going to do that, professor. And the final day, here is a tub of liquid detergent. What are we going to do with liquid detergent? When you give the flyer, you say, this is for you. And when you wash your clothes, remember that Jesus has washed away all your sins. Radical for us seminarians because we've never done this part. We've only gone to... You know, pass out literature. Never things and never, never a line to go with it. But we did. And, you know, honestly, some doors were closed, but some were, many were open to hear what we meant. What do you mean about the light of the world? Bread of life. Wash away our sins. So here was our time to go, well, this is what we mean. But we want you to come to this event happening um, next, next week for the next two weeks. All right, well, all right, and and, and, and bring your kids. And as we went throughout this community, we had bags of candy and stuff. And the kids would be like, what's going on? And we would tell them, this is what's going on for you. Now the start of that evangelism, see, I was tasked because of my experience in children's ministries. By the time 2017 came around, I had already done 13 years of VBSs and being in charge of children's ministries, for all the churches that we had been a part of. And so they said, Jen, you are Children's Ministries. Here's your team. And our professor says, and here's 250 bucks for the program. You know, when I run VBS, it takes a couple thousand dollars for things to interest the kids. So professor, this is not going to be enough. She says, that's all you got. You have to make it work. And so we we... Came together and I brought out my, my plethora of experience. And we were prepared. We're gonna make plastic rockets, we're gonna have experiments, we're gonna make lava where, like, you know, you put mentos and coke and it's gonna explode. We're we're gonna do all these cool things for these kids. Now remember, every one of us, if we've been involved in the children's program, we've only been involved in an Adventist children's program. And so we go, and the crusade starts, and we're facing 75 to 100 children, all from Section 8 housing. No clue of what church is about. And in my arrogance, I thought, hey, we got this nailed in the butt. We have all these activities here. We this go team. And these kids were unruly day one. Like, they'd come up and hug me, and I'd have, like, stains all over me. I don't know where they were from. And we tried to do our program. We tried to, hey, let's make these plastic rockets. No interest. Nothing. Okay, we got a video for you. Day two. We got a movie for you. It was Tales. We got a movie for you. We put on vegetables and they're just like, pause for a second. They're like, that's not Fast and the Furious. And they were off. Nothing. And my team was getting discouraged. And they could see the discouragement on me. They said, God set us out to do this mission. Why isn't God doing it for these children? And I went home and cried. And I said, Lord, I remember the first time, Lord, when you called me to do a mission. And Lord, I've had 13 years of children's ministries and VBS, and I want to know why this is not working. And God said to me, Jen, strip away everything that's church. Take away all your pre-planned ideas and just get on the floor with them and play and talk about me. Uh, how do I do that, Lord? We have all these packages ready to go. And he said, do it. And so the next three days, we dropped our whole program. And instead of all these beautiful kits that we had, we were ripping up construction paper and pasting marshmallows and macaroni. And in this time, We were talking about Jesus. They came to us and with their sometimes shoeless feet, sometimes without a shirt, and they said, hey, so, you know, Wait, where's your shoes? Oh, I don't have shoes. I live in the car. Oh, uh, you see see the bruise right here? That was from my mom hitting me. Oh, Oh, last night, last night, dad came home and beat my mom up and they cry, and they're around us, and hugging me, and asking for answers, and all I can do is just hug them, and love them, and say, I'm so sorry about what's going on at home, but you know, after this, you know, at the end of this week, we have free shoes for you, we have clothing, well, what about the whole, you know, we're getting beat up, I will pray for you. Do you really believe that that, that the Jesus you talk about can stop the abuse? God can do anything, baby. You just got to love him. And this is what we did for the rest of that week. We rolled around on that floor with them. We took off everything that we had ever planned, and we let God lead. And at the end of the crusade it wasn't the adults that god baptized we baptized 11 children and this is what happens when you're willing to let go when you take yourself out of the equation and when you let god be god when you take away all your experience your knowledge your education and you take away all the pre-planned christianity Yes, I did say that. When you take away all the pre planned Christianity and you let God speak to you and do. Because when you obey, He will take you the rest of the way. You magnify the Savior when you embrace humility. In Philippians, verse 1 sorry verse 3 let nothing be done through self ambition or conceit but in loneliness of mind let each other let each esteem others better than himself let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others. God says, when you lead, I want humility and I want I, and I want your compassion. Because when you have me and humility and compassion, you will go further than you ever thought. You will complete the mission I've given you. So as a leader, I share this with you. Embrace humility, always. Never allow your station or your authority go before God. Let God lead you. Take yourself out of the equation and let God be God because when you let God be God and he puts you on a mission, he will explode your mission for eternity. by God. We have to be humble to be molded and used for him. And I invite you now if you're struggling, if you're saying, God, I want to give all control back to you. And what you've called me to do, Father, I want you to be first place now. I want your mission to go before me and not me. Father, take my life and use it for your glory. If that's your prayer and you want to give that to God right here, I invite you to come up if you want God to lead. He's coming soon. And there's many things that he's going to call you to do. And we must be willing to empty and say, you God, you first. Father, I'm tired of trying to control and I want you to take control. I invite you, if you want to give that up to God right here. Father, you see your children, Father, here. Here before you Father saying I'm done I'm done trying to lead in this mission Father I need you to take over Father take the gifts that you have given to me and let them be used completely for your honor and glory taking me out Father in all things Father let you be glorified in my life Let you take credit, Father, because you deserve all the honor, glory, and praise. Father, change me. Father, mold me. Father, use me for you. Father, I want to begin again. Father, I'm your child.
0: child.
1: Father, I know that I I can do all things through you. Lord, forgive me. Help me to walk in step with you. And may you be glorified in my life. And
0: the church says, Amen. Thank you. That was true. Thank you. You're welcome. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation's Seven Day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.